Hear these words as I read them. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. And who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and I drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fall or they fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil. For the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. Will you pray with me one more time? Heavenly Father, be with us this morning. Lord, open our hearts to your word. Lord, I pray that you would give me the words to say this morning. Lord, I pray that I would say no more than what you have for me to say and no less. Lord, I pray that this this sermon, this message, this word from you, Lord, would be applied to the hearts of these believers who have gathered. Lord, use it to encourage them. Use it to convict them. Lord, and above all, use it to glorify your name in this church, Father. Lord, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So when I was a little kid growing up in Sunday school, uh, we, we sang a song. We sang a lot of songs, but there's one song that I remember singing, and I'm going to sing it for you, if that's okay. Um, just, just bear with me. It goes a little bit like this. The devil wants everybody grumpy. The devil wants everybody sad. The devil wants everybody grumpy, 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 and he doesn't want anybody sad. But... Jesus wants everybody happy. Jesus wants everybody glad. Jesus wants everybody happy, 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 and he doesn't want anybody sad. Anyone sing that growing up? Am I the only person? Am I the only person who knows that? Of course I am. Am I the only person, and I I don't think so in here, am I the only person who growing up in the church Got a, got a message, got the, the idea that if you're going to be a Christian, you have to be happy all the time. Am I the only one or are you, have you guys heard that too? If you're a Christian, you've got to be happy. If you're going to come to church, you have to come to church with a smile on your face. There's no room for sadness being a Christian. There's no room for complaint. There's no room for lament. There's no room for crying out to God. That's pretty common in our culture, right? If you turn on Christian radio, and I'm not against Christian radio at all. They have a lot of, they have a lot of great music. But if you turn on Christian radio, nine times out of ten, you're going to hear a song uh, that's, that's, that's praise music, that's celebrating something, looking back at what God has done, praising God for who he is. And there's nothing wrong with music like that at all. But very little of the Christian music we have today is Lament. Very few of the songs we sing deal with the deep things of the soul, 
the dark things of the soul. But as we read through the Psalms, as we read through the songbook that God has given us, as we look at them, we see complaints all over the place. We see laments just about every other psalm. The psalms are full of them. Psalm is crying out, God, why are you doing this? God, deliver me. God, save me. It's all throughout the psalms, and Psalm 6 is no different. Psalm 6 is a cry of David, a cry for deliverance. And as we, as we dive into this text this morning, I want us all to be disabused of the notions that in order to come to church, you have to be happy. Get that idea out of your head. You can come to church and mourn. You can come to church and lament. You can come to church and cry out to God, pray for deliverance, because that's what David is doing here. We don't know the exact situation in David's life in which he, in which he wrote this. I think a good parallel would be instead in the life of Job. Do you guys remember that story? See, Job was a righteous man. He was afflicted, not because he sinned, but just because God willed it to be so. God took everything from Job. He took his property. He took his family. He took his health. The only thing that God left Job is his nagging wife. And she told him, she said, Job, just curse God and die. Just get it over with. He had his wife and he had a few friends who weren't any help at all. He was surrounded by them. And instead of offering comfort, instead of offering, um, you know, just, just being there with him, his friends said, you know, Job, are you sure there's not some secret sin that you have to confess? Are you sure there's not something? And they goaded him and they prodded him. And Job was a man most miserable. And this is a psalm, I don't, I don't believe that Job wrote it. But this is a psalm that could absolutely fit in his mouth, crying out to God in the midst of affliction, in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, crying out, God, why? God, deliver me from this. The psalmist here, David, is experiencing deep anguish. In verse number three, he writes, my bones are in agony. The next verse, he says, my soul is in deep anguish. I don't feel the need to take you know, this literally. I don't think David's complaining necessarily of a bone disease here. But he is complaining about something deep on the inside of him. He's experiencing probably great physical pain, great physical distress. And he's crying out to God in the midst of it. So much so that he says his bones, the very core of himself, the thing that is supposed to be the most strong, that is an agony. In the next verse he says, my soul is in deep anguish. Not only his physical body is in anguish, but his mind is as well. His emotions are as well. He, on the inside, he's torn up. He's sad. He's depressed. And one of the things I want us to, I want us to note this morning is that the sickness and the illness that David felt wasn't just physical. And the sickness and the illness that we feel isn't just physical. You may be gathered here this morning with some physical needs on your mind. Perhaps you are struggling with an illness. Perhaps a loved one is struggling with a physical illness. But perhaps you're here in some mental or emotional distress. Sometimes not every illness 
can be seen. It can't be felt. Sometimes it's inside of you. Sometimes it manifests itself as depression, as anxiety, as other disorders that are, that are silent and that aren't really visible to any other people. This prayer, Psalm 6, is a prayer for both of those, for those experiencing physical distress, for those experiencing mental or emotional distress. This psalm is for everyone who falls into one of those categories. David here is experiencing both. He's experiencing incredible distress to the point where, as he's praying in verse number 3, I don't know what, what Bible translation you have, the NIV doesn't really do this as well. The ESV translates a little better. But David interrupts his prayer to just cry out to God. He says, my soul is in deep anguish and you, O Lord. And then he just interrupts. He says, how long? He can't finish his sentence. He's in such pain. He's in such distress. And you, O Lord, how long? How long until this is taken from me? He goes on in verse number eight. Uh, He says he floods his bed with weeping. He drenches his couch with tears. If we were going to translate those words literally, they mean he's crying so much that his bed's about to float away. He's about to dissolve his mattress so much with his tears. He's crying so much that he's surprised his bed even is intact and it hasn't washed away. That insult to injury, uh, perhaps further injury to injury, David is surrounded by enemies in verse number seven. Uh, He says, my eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all of my foes. Now we know that David was a political leader in Israel and he was surrounded by by literal enemies, right? There There were nations around him that, you know, physically and militaristically attacked him. But I think it's, I don't think it's out of the question to see this as enemies like Job's friends. Job was surrounded by friends who in reality turned out to be enemies. His friends were no comfort to him. His friends tried to, tried to kind of weasel their way into the problem. They tried to um, pry into Job's life instead of offering him comfort and solace. And it may very well be that David's complaining about those enemies on the edges of his borders, but it may very well be that he's complaining about those enemies who are surrounding him, those people who aren't helpful, those people who are supposed to be comforting him, but are in reality of no comfort at all. David's in dire straits here. Is David's situation here, is it striking any chords for any of you? Have you ever stayed up at night and not been able to sleep because you're crying so much? You're too depressed. You're too in too much pain. There's too much going on, too much internal strife, too much physical suffering, too much lament at what is wrong with the world in order for you to sleep at night, and you weep so much that you think that your bed might wash away. Have you ever been there? If so, this is a psalm for you. David was there. David was afraid so much that he was afraid of even death itself. In verse number five, he says, Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? Now, you might pause at this this verse, as as I did, and ask the question, aren't we going to praise God in heaven, right? Don't we believe in the resurrection? Don't we believe in the afterlife? Don't we believe that David is going to praise God then? We do. We do believe that, absolutely. But what David's talking about here is more that when he dies, his physical body is going to be in the grave. 
So he can't go to the temple on the Sabbath. He can't sing aloud with his voice and and praise God for what he's done. He can't tell all of the people around him in the nation of Israel who God is and what God has done for him. His body's in the grave. And absolutely, I want to affirm that we believe in the resurrection from the dead. We believe that one day we will all have, those who believe in Jesus Christ will have renewed physical bodies and we will give praise to God then. But in that in-between period, we're robbed of something. There's a temptation that we face uh, as people in a society, you know, where every person we've known has passed away. That's what it's been like for thousands of years, the entire human history. We can sometimes think of that as just part of human life, right? When a loved one passes away, we can say, oh, yes, that's, that's just part of life. You know, we'll celebrate them. It's okay that they died and move on. But brothers and sisters, it's not okay. Death was never a part of God's plan. And so when David here, he's, he's afraid of death. He's not looking forward to it. He complains about his body lying in a grave. He complains about being unable to praise God. He has a legitimate complaint. David here, he's looking ahead and he's seeing where his sickness ends up. And he doesn't want to go there. And he cries out to God. At the beginning, in the first verse, um, David cries out to God. He says, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. Here I picture David walking into the throne room of God with his head down and his hands up. He's afraid that God will reject his question because of his insolence or something along those lines. So he prays God. He says, God, don't rebuke me in your anger. Let me, let, me, let me get this out. Let me finish. Don't rebuke me in your anger. Don't discipline me in your wrath. Instead of doing that, have mercy on me. Relieve this burden from off of my back. Save me from this distress. Now I want to focus on one thing here. There's a reason that David prays for God to deliver him. He gives a reason, and that's in verse number three, I believe it is. He says, turn, Lord, excuse me, it's verse number four. Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me, why? Save me because of your unfailing love. The Hebrew word for that, um, it's kind of hard to translate that in English. Um, The Hebrew word, it's fun to say, it's chesed. The Hebrew word is chesed. It can be translated unfailing love, uh, and it often means that, but it refers to something a little bit deeper than that. It refers to God's covenant loyalty. See, when David is praying that God will save him because of God's unfailing love, he's looking back a ways. He's looking back to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, where God calls out his people from the land of Egypt and begins a relationship with them, a covenant relationship with them. God redeems his people from Egypt, brings them out to Mount Sinai, where he says, I'm going to be your God, and you all are going to be my people. And he gives them the law and shows them how to walk in his ways. This is God's covenant loyalty. This is God's chesed. These are the things that God has done in the past. So David looks at God and he prays. He says, God, you have been faithful to us in the past. We know that. Won't you be faithful to me here in the present? Because of what you've already done, isn't this so much less than that, so much less than redeeming a people from a foreign land and entering into a relationship with them. If you did that, can't you at least do this? 
Christian, what has God done for you in the past? Are there answered prayers that you can look to? Are there times that you know that God has been faithful to you? You can look back at a point in your life and say, yes, God was there for me through that trouble. So I know that he will be here with me now, even as I'm going through this trial. If no answered prayers are coming to mind, at the very least, Christian, you can look back to what Jesus Christ did on the cross. God spared no expense in sending his son to die for each one of us. He didn't hold anything back. Jesus Christ suffered on the cross for us. He died for us. He rose again from the dead for us. And he did that all so that we can have a relationship with God. At the very least, Christian, we can look back to what God has done for us. If God didn't spare his son, if he spared no expense to come after us, won't he at the very least answer our prayers? Won't he at the very least deliver us? Lord, because of your unfailing love, Deliver me. In verse number eight, there's a dramatic change of pace. The tone of the psalm shifts dramatically. It goes from my eyes grow weak with sorrow, they fail because of all my foes, and it it drastically shifts, excuse me, to away away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. God heard David's cry. God heard David's cry for deliverance. Not only did he hear his weeping, not only did he hear his cry for physical pain, but those, those enemies, the ones on the edges of his kingdom who, who threatened him militarily, the ones who were perhaps even closer to him, all of them are turned back. As David requested that, that God turn towards him, so in the same way David's enemies are turned back. Even as David's soul is in anguish, all of his enemies in verse number 10 are overwhelmed with shame and anguish. What David had been feeling, not only is he delivered from, but it's turned back on those who were opposed to David. But I don't want us to miss something through here. There's something that we can easily miss. It took me probably 15, 20 seconds to read this psalm earlier. I don't know, I didn't, I didn't time it. It wasn't written that quickly. Some people think that maybe uh, verses 8 eight through 10, they were added later by another editor. Um, you know, maybe another author came in. I don't, I don't buy that theory. What I do think is very likely is that maybe David woke up in the middle of the night. He was crying so much. He was so overwhelmed with grief and anguish. Maybe he got up. And again, this is speculation, but maybe he got up and composed this psalm. He tried to pray to God, but he couldn't th- even finish some of the lines because he cried out, Oh Lord, how long? And he got to the end of verse number seven and he put his pen away. He put the psalm away and he just sat in his grief for a while. David probably didn't write the last three verses to this psalm for a while. Maybe it was hours. Maybe it was the next morning. Maybe a prophet came to David and said, hey, good news. God has heard your prayer. Maybe that happened. Maybe it was days. Maybe it was weeks. Maybe it was years. Christian, if you find yourself in between verses 7 and 8, in between the lament and the deliverance, don't let that ruin your faith. David sat there too. Just because this psalm is presented as a complete whole doesn't mean that there's no space in between there. 
So if there's suffering that you have, if there's physical distress, if there are, there's emotional distress that you're going through, if there's any of that, if there's, there are cares and burdens that you're coming to God with, God might not answer those right away. He might not hear your prayers and deliver you right away. We might have to sit in it. Even further than that, we know King David is no longer with us. King David lived a long life. He lived a good life. But King David passed away at the ripe old age. I should know what it is. I don't know what it is off the top of my head. But he's not with us anymore. Eventually, David succumbed to the death that he feared. Eventually, there was a sickness that God did not deliver him from. Eventually, he faced death. And so he's no longer with us today. And if God tarries, if God delays in coming back and establishing his kingdom, every single one of us will face that as well at some point. I pray long lives and happy years over each and every one of us, but eventually we will face that. Eventually, there will be some prayers that are not answered in this life. Eventually, there will be some lament, some complaints that we we cry out to God over, over our physical needs, over our mental needs, over our emotional needs. There will be some of those that are not answered in this life. Eventually, one by one, each one of us will succumb to every single one of these. But Christians, our hope is not in this life. Our hope is in the next one. We believe, and we believe this wholeheartedly, in the resurrection from the dead. We believe that one day Jesus Christ will come back to establish his kingdom and our physical bodies that pass away will be resurrected from the dead. We believe that eternal life will be granted to us. We will have renewed, glorified bodies and every trouble that we face, every sickness, every disease, every care, every concern, those will be a distant memory in the past. We will remember those nights where we wept on our couches. We will remember those times that we couldn't couldn't even finish our prayers just because we had to cry out to God. We will remember those times. But we will rejoice on that last and final day in the next life because we have been redeemed, because we have been delivered, because all of our enemies have been turned back and our shame and our anguish has been put on them. God has heard our prayers. God has delivered us. So Christians, I urge you, as we come and as as we're gathered here today, don't be afraid to lament. Don't be afraid to cry out to God and cry out for deliverance, for healing. Don't be afraid. That's okay. And I pray that God hears your prayers and delivers you from your troubles and trials in this life. But if he does not, Christian, know with certainty that there will be deliverance from those troubles and those trials and those cares that we carry with us if not in this life, but in the next life. We know that God will do this because of his unfailing love. Because God did not spare any expense in calling his people out of Egypt. Because God did not spare any expense in sending his son to die for us on the cross. Because of that, we know with certainty that on that last day, we will stand free from our troubles and our cares and we will finally be delivered. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.